apart, everybody. Don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. We are I. All right, everybody, good morning, and uh, welcome to another edition of We Are I. We're sitting back down here with Bridget Shave this morning, author. You know, she's been on the podcast before, and, you know, a lot of people gave some amazing feedback on the amount of information that was in our, in our last podcast, and this is going to be exactly the same way. So, you know, this is one of those moments we're going to have to grab the notepad, you know, like we're going to have to, you know, rewind, we're going to have to play it again, we're going to have to listen to it three or four times, but... Again, like I just want to kind of bring it back to that's the whole point of these ones is so that you have a continued resource to always go back to to be able to kind of fill in the void because we do hear so much, you know, conflicting information in these fields all the time. Um, and we're going to try to bring like a little bit more of like like a Western terminology to some of these terms and stuff just to be able to bring a little bit more of like a relatable experience um, from a language standpoint. So uh, welcome again to the show, Virginia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So again, everybody, we're going to talk a little bit about the micro gut biome today. You know, micro gut biome is something that's talked about a lot these days. You know, it's very clickbaity. You know, like a lot of people kind of throw, you know, what they feel like they know about the micro gut biome out there and they, you know, they feel like they need to educate people, you know, and I'm no different. But, 
Um, you know, I know probably 0.5% of the, the knowledge that Bridget has on this subject. So um, I want to go to the source, you know, like right to the source that has the most information that I know so that you guys can, you know, have like the best education in this topic as well to be able to weed through all the other information that may be conflicting. So um, Bridget, tell us why you got so invested in the micro gut biome to start off. Well, when I was in Chinese medicine school, I was learning about this thing called the MOUN, which means membrane source. And it's this structure that was perceived thousands of years ago to exist in the, in the region of the gut. And by gut, I don't just mean the large intestine or the small intestine, but um, really in the whole thorax, specifically in the lower abdominal region. And it's a place where pathogens were uh, believed to exist and hide out, so to speak. So the idea is that the MOUN or the membrane source is a place where like a netting where things can get caught and hide in the body and as an extension of that I kind of figured that it also meant that it could be someplace that the that the body actually encapsulates something that it that it has difficulty eradicating and um, and then there's that also the theory in Chinese medicine of lingering pathogens which I found fascinating um, and that deals with any pathogen that comes into the body and manifests itself in a certain way, or maybe doesn't manifest at all right away, and can manifest in a later season of the year. It will come out as a different type of pathogen or express itself um, as a cold or some kind of a flu or digestive problem or respiratory problem at another time during the year. And then as a practitioner, you have to be able to diagnose if it was a newly acquired pathogen or if it's a pathogen that has been lingering and you would treat it differently based on those two things. And so in, in the case of the MOUN, there are formulas that you use in order to treat lingering pathogens that are believed to be kind of harbored in this, this mysterious region of the body um, and and when I, when I heard about the MOUN, I kind of took it to be um, equivalent to, in many ways, the mesentery lining in the abdominal cavity. And so when I was writing the first book, we'll jump ahead, um, the one that we talked about last time, that book, uh, I was in the middle of it, and there was a study that had just come out or some scientific information that stated that the mesentery in the body was indeed not just this um, connected, this series of connective tissue sheaths that weren't at all related, um, but that it was an actual organ. So the mesentery was recognized as an organ, which immediately made me think of the MOUN and the membrane source as, as like this um, separate structure in Chinese medicine. And, um, and with the mesentery, it's interesting because we've always thought from a Western medicine's perspective that the mesentery was just a functional, um, just, had a, just had a functional uh, responsibility in the body and that was to help anchor the internal organs. And 
it turns out that in Chinese medicine, it has not just that function, but the function of, as I mentioned, harboring the lingering pathogens. And in addition to that, there is evidence that there is, well, not just evidence, we know that there are these little lymphatic um, structures throughout the mesentery that connect with and interact with what's happening inside the intestines. And the mechanisms of action they do that through may vary, but it has a lot to do with the microbiome in the gut. And the microbiome in the gut is basically an entire ecosystem in everyone's body. So I'll back out a little further and, and just give you kind of an overview of, of what the microbiome is. So if you look at an ecosystem on the planet, you can recognize certain characteristics about it. Like we have dry ecosystems. We have really wet ecosystems like the rainforest. We have different ecosystems. And when someone says that word, we have an, a concept of what an ecosystem is, right? What we don't really have a concept of is our individual being, our entire package being an ecosystem. And it is. Well, and especially and, since like, you know, like the bacteria, like from like how I understand and like what I've been told is that like, it's a completely outside entity of our body. Like we just basically are a home for this bacteria to live because they're not, they're not actually like a part of us, although that they, because they're living, because they're biological, like, you know, like they have a, a way of being able to control us, you know, like physically or emotionally, but like we have no way of really being able to control them. Right. That's definitely a, a, a one, one piece of it. And then I think the other piece is that we're, we're coming into a complete paradigm shift in medicine where we need to look at the whole person. Like as microbiome science furthers and they recognize the connections, how interrelated each part of the body really is, that even specialists are going to have to be conferring with other specialists or that whole concept of specialization is going to have to perhaps expand and shift with the science that comes in because the microbiome is something that interconnects the entire body and the body with the mind and vice versa. So, so, we are all this ecosystem. Another part of this, this paradigm shift in thinking about the microbiome or um, germs or bugs or microbes and ourselves is that we've, we've for generations perceived microbes and humans as self and other, or I should say microbes are other and, and humans are self. And that we're supposed to go to any means to sterilize both our body and our surroundings so that we are not succumbing to the adverse effects of microbes. So we're not getting the food, so we don't get a cold, so, so we can feel clean. And that translates into also this idea of, of uh, a subjective feeling of toxicity in the system sometimes or or just the, the knowing that you know if 
if you had a, a some kind of a retrovirus like chickenpox virus that you know you've always got that in you and then you can end up with shingles and it's just kind of like ew that kind of sucks right there's this microbe in me and I can never get rid of it or people most people have Epstein Barr and so they feel like they need to like detox their liver but really it might not it might not be a problem most of the time for most people that they're harboring Epstein Barr virus and and God knows all the other microbes and viruses and, and um, funguses that we harbor that could be harmful to us, but that aren't because our immune system is working well enough to keep them at bay and an extension of the immune system that our microbiome is working well enough for us and itself to keep them at bay. So then, so, if, you know, if we could like, just like look at it like really quick. So you because of like a lot of like like western way of life western way of thinking and western medicine actually has like a massive disruption you know to like these you know um like this bacteria and these you know microbes and stuff like you know within our body um do we even have a full understanding of like how these microbes like interact with each other because you know like if we do everything we can, like I said, be able to sanitize, like, you know, like we have these hand sanitizers, you know, like we, you know, wash our clothes in these things, you know, like we're always wiping things down, you know, like, and like I said, just with like a lot of the, the foods we, you know, like pasteurized foods, you know, and again, like Western medicines, like we're, we're disrupting like this process that, you know, I, what I feel like we have no real concept of even being able to understand how one microbe could end up affecting thousands of others or just like the the interchange between all those because you know like you said like our our bodies function together you know in a very harmonious way you know like i always kind of look at it as like like an accordion you know like when you stretch it apart like you know all these different you know compartments expand and contract but they play this beautiful music you know like in our body you know like and there's no doubt that the bacteria and the microbes and like you know these organisms in our body are very much living like harmoniously within each other, even though some might be bad and some might be good, but the spin-off effect of that might be very positive. But like, where are we at in kind of understanding all of that? Well, that's a good question. Let me, let me, I'll get back to that. I just want to back up a little bit just for people that might not have any exposure to microbiome information yeah. yet. Um, so basically our bodies not only have microbes, meaning bacteria, archaea, funguses, viruses, yeasts, living in it in the digestive tract, but we also have them all over the place. We have them on our skin. And we have different communities of what we call commensal organisms. And commensals are the good bacteria that work together to keep us healthy and safe and strong. And so those, those colonies vary from diff one part of the skin to the other. Just like I mentioned, there's different ecosystems in the environment Well, you have naturally drier areas of the skin. You have like the groin and the armpits and the navel, which are totally different environments than your lower back or your upper back or the top of your foot. So every part of your skin, every, orifice has its own community of a mixture of bacteria, funguses, viruses, etc. 
your eyes, your ears, your nostrils, your sinus cavity, your mouth, your testes, your vagina, your navel, your anus, your colon is different than what's in the upper part of your large intestine. What's in your small intestine is different. They used to think that the uterus was sterile in utero, that the placenta was sterile. And in fact, they're finding that that is not necessarily the case. Um, they used to think the lungs were sterile. And now they're finding that there are organisms that inhabit the lungs. Um, when I first started doing my research on the microbiome a couple of years ago, it was that the microbes in the lungs that keep things at bay so that you don't end up with like a chronic bronchitis or pneumonia or something like that are transient. Oh. And now what they're finding is that the microbes in the lungs, there was a study that came out like two weeks ago, I think, um, that said that there, there are definite communities of microbes in the lungs. And it sounded to me from that study that they're feeling like they're more fixed. Um, so the, the information is constantly being updated. There are microbes in the mouth and the oral cavity. And there are um, practices that we do in Eastern medicine to keep the oral cavity ecosystem balanced. So that doesn't mean that we believe we have to go in and, and completely clean and sterilize the mouth. It means that there are things that we do to keep the balance of the ecosystem in the mouth healthy. The bacteria, one study I read, just to give you a, a glimpse of some of the ways that um, the microbes in one part of the body can affect the other, is that in the mouth, the, the bug that causes gingivitis is found to secrete metabolite. And when, when that gets in the brain, it's been linked to the plaque that forms in people who um, end up having Alzheimer's disease. And so, um, well, and arguably there, like people who are going to have like, you know, um, increased risk for gingivitis, you know, probably have like a, a poor quality diet and then having like a higher sugar right. concentration, you know, and then like probably, you know, like maybe minor symptoms of like small bacterial overgrowth, you know, some things along with that also then affect and have things, you know, or like can contribute to conditions like Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff as well. Right. Right. Well, the sure. spinoff effect is amazing. Everything is tied into each other. And so, and so they're developing, um, they're developing treatments to help ameliorate the effects of the metabolite that this bacteria produces in the, that get in the brain that is in order to prevent the, the plaques from forming in people with those instances of Alzheimer's. So there can be different causes of it. Um, and then there is largely what's been researched, the microbiome in the gut. And so there are different terms that are being used to describe it. You could use the term microbiota, you could use the term microbiome, you could use the term gut flora, and different scientific papers use microbiome and microbiota in different ways. So I kind of just say microbiome to mean everything in that region. Um, but Do you think that's one of the problems though, like when like when people try to navigate the information is that like, you know, like scientists, medical professionals, you know, people who are just, you know, like avid seekers of information, just everybody's kind of using slightly different terminology. So then when you're talking about people might feel like you're talking about something different, but you're actually talking about the same thing. 
that could be that could be one thing that's confusing for people and it's a lot of long words and the different um phylums and the different you know strains of specific bacteria have very long words associated with them um some of our our regular you know customary inhabitants on our skin for example include staph which we look at as a bad guy but there could be something it's doing that could be helpful to us we don't know all of the microbiome we're constantly discovering new critters or like yeah. why even staph has evolved into like a new strain of staph, you know, in the last, you know, isn't right. it like the last kind of like two to five years where like there's this new strain of staph that's becoming quite prevalent that's a lot worse than what the original strain of staph was? They're mutating all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the reason that this is happening is at such a quick rate, I mean, it, I'm sure there are climate scientists that will say that they feel that the the warming of the climate has something to do with it because you're changing the overall environment on the planet and we are all part of the earth no matter how much we want to think that <laughs> we're separate from nature sometimes we're not and um and another part of it is the overall toxicity of the planet and how it's affected our air and our water and our food supply and how we let our food supply get altered with pesticides and how we let our livestock be fed antibiotics and all the antibiotics that we use and all of the other drugs that we consume that end up in the groundwater or wherever they go when you pee them out in the toilet. Um, I don't know that those things all get filtered in the water filtration plant. And so, it, you know, it's all a big cycle and it all, everything ends up, you know, mixing with everything else at some point or, or at least affecting everything else some way, directly or indirectly. And one of those ways is that it alters the, um, it alters the soil composition of, of, of the soil, uh, the microbiome in the soil. And that in, in turn will will obviously alter the plants that are being grown and, and the nutritional quality and the absorbability and um, the genetic modification of, of seeds has, um, you know, from more of a holistic medicine perspective, I think anyone in holistic medicine will say that they are pretty certain that genetically modified seeds are sort of messing with the natural intelligence inside the body and that that contributes to food sensitivities and to more allergies and to more inflammatory conditions and to more autoimmune conditions. And I actually heard something very similar to that too because, you know, as we know with like when when nature genetically modifies, you know, anything like, you know, you're talking it's like thousands and tens of thousands of years for these small, you know, genetic modifications to be able to occur typically in nature, which then our body actually has like those thousands and tens of thousands of years to be able to like adapt to that process, you know, but now we're talking, you know, like less than a decade, you know, like they can completely change like the genetic makeup, you know, like of these strains and like our body has no way of being able to, you know, catch up to that because we've never evolved in a system that things have rapidly changed that fast. Everything is over like a course of time. You know, it's like that nudging the ship theory that I always use, you know, like you don't, you know, turn an oil tanker 90 degrees, 
you know, you start a hundred miles out and you make like a one degree change and you eventually end up on corks, you know? So like, that's like, like with our bodies too, like where we've always been offered like this graciousness of time to be able to catch up. But now we don't. And on top of that, then like you said, you know, like we have antibiotics in our food and, you know, like we're consuming antibiotics and all this kind of stuff. So like we're disrupting like the natural process. And plus then when we think we're doing something, even what's good potentially couldn't be because we've added this new genetic strain, which our body's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. This isn't before. So like, obviously this unknown invader in my body, you know, I have to attack this or, you know, I have to not allow this to be like a positive experience because it just doesn't know what to do with it. Even though like it it might be, it might be healthy food. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Lao Tzu said in the Tao Te Ching, nature never hurries yet. Everything is accomplished. Yeah. So if it's done according to the, the time that nature is used to working at, probably no harm done. But when we are just rushing around trying to alter everything because largely because we are so disconnected in our consciousness and our awareness of who we are from the rest of nature that we are just rushing to change things fast, fast, fast. You know, it's just, it's not serving us. And we're fast, fast, fast becoming sicker, sicker, and sicker. And the and the the shameful or the 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 saddest part of it is that even people who are aware and want to live the most healthy, simple life possible and and just be happy and take care of their families and and enjoy life are also suffering because there is no guarantee that you're not getting you know a genetic you're not tainted by genetic modification somehow for example um there's no guarantee that you're going to be getting pure water even if you're even if you're getting like you know a a bottled artisanal water or something like that you know there's just it's all kind of a crapshoot right now Mm -hmm. um and we're just all all we can do is become as educated about it and do the best that we can with everything and and tune into our own sense of intuition and instinct as much as possible slow down enough to be able to do that and then do that so that we can make better informed choices for ourselves you know like sometimes you might go to the grocery store and 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 you usually get this one thing but sometimes you just might feel like you shouldn't and and then that's what the kind of thing that we need to listen to or maybe you're going to go the long way home one night for some reason and you know that's just the kind of thing that we should listen to and i think that we've gotten away from that because we're so distracted by um all of our responsibilities or our perceived responsibilities and keeping up with with life that um, we're not, we're actually in a sense, not really living and, and we're also affecting the microbiome adversely by, by living that way. Yes. Um, and I, I think the nice part to me, like the, the part that I value the most about all this is that you don't have to be that person anymore. You know, like when you decide to, you know, like want to live healthy and you know, you want to have like a healthy, you know, micro gut biome and you know, you want to eat local shop local, you know, you might want to walk instead of driving. You want to have, you know, like 
you know, vegetables instead of meat or, you know, so like there's just all these concepts are being a lot more globally adopted now. And so like you don't have to deal as much, you know, like with like the like the emotional fallout of wanting to do that because, you know, like it wasn't too long ago. Like and I know like in BC is pretty progressive, but like you would still be like that person. You'd walk around with the labels being like, oh, that guy or, you know, like this person does this or like, oh, they're, you're like that crazy hippie or, you know, like you know something along those lines but it's nice that we're starting to shed at least some of those barriers because you know some of those barriers that which inhibit people to be able to freely express themselves because that free expression also comes you know again full circle into this you know healthy micro gut biome and this healthy floor within inside of our body inside and out you know because a lot of that too like i feel comes from just like internal disruption you know from like that that existential battle that we fight with inside of ourselves all the time so a lot when we are a lot more at peace you know then i find like then that's when you know like we can have like those opportunities to be able to like actually really start to allow these natural processes to flourish So back to the, the micro gut, uh, biome, like specifically, like a few things that I wanted to kind of like clarify was, um, like the turnover rate of like the bacteria, is there any, like some people say it's three days, you know, like, like I've heard a week or like, you know, there's, you know, like the bacteria you have is what you have. Like, like what, what do we know about like how quickly we can change, you know, like the micro gut biome, like what stays, what goes like, like what's the information, like what's the, what's the deal behind it? <laughs> so, um, I think that the studies that have been done that have shown that the that the communities in the gut specifically can change in a matter of hours. Oh wow! Um, it can change. I think that the cascade of whatever happens can change in a matter in a matter. Of make a change in a matter of minutes. I think if they are doing, I think if they started to do studies that tracked um, somebody who was in a, in a state of fear or anger or love or happiness, they'd find if there was some way to do a study that tracked how that affected the gut microbiome, they'd find that indeed even the emotional states are affecting it. Um, pretty much everything affects it. How much you sleep, how well you sleep, what time you sleep at, what time you eat at, what you eat, if you don't eat, if you eat too much, if you eat too little, if you are out in nature, if you're indoors, I mean pretty much Everything that you could possibly think of affects your microbiome. And there's a, there's a gut-brain connection. So a large, most of the studies have been done on the gut microbiome, and specifically the gut microbiome in the large intestine. And what they found is that many of, what they found is that the healthiest people, meaning the people that have the least inflammatory conditions, basically, are those that have the most diversity in microbes in their gut, in their large intestine. Because that diversity from these studies has translated into reduced incidences of inflammatory disease, of autoimmune disease, of obesity, of diabetes. Um, so diversity is really the key, they think 
to keeping the rest of the body healthy. And Hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut. And I think that Western science is starting to see that with the research that's being done on the gut microbiome because it absolutely affects everything in the body. It affects every single organ in the body. Every single organ has some kind of microbial involvement. Um, there is microbial involvement in, for example, they found that um, there's lactobacillus culture in breast tissue and in higher quantity in women who have reduced um, incidences of breast cancer. So they feel that there's a lactobacillus um, preventative quality in the breast tissue, which, I mean, who would even think that there'd be microbes hanging out in their breast tissue, right? Or, yeah. or anywhere, there's, they're everywhere. And they influence everything. When someone is born, immediately their gut microbiome starts to populate. And it could be that it actually starts to populate to some extent before that. We don't know for sure, I don't think. But um, once that starts to populate, what happens is that those microbes want to survive, that start to take up shop in the, in the infant's intestine. And, and so it's a, it's a survival mechanism for them to determine what is going to keep their host alive and healthy and fed so that they can eat. And so what they do is they immediately begin to discern who is friend and who is foe. And from there, they begin to train the immune system in who is friend and who is foe. So they're training those killer, killer T cells to recognize the good guys from the bad guys right from the get-go. And this, basically the microbiome entrains the immune system to be healthy right from the start. So do you think some of like the, the, the bacteria that, that we host, do we know if there's any direct correlation between them and memory T cells? Between, say that again. Like the, the like the yeah. bacteria that's like you know kind of like standard in our in our micro gut biome, like the ones that are just gonna kind of be there. Is there a direct correlation between them and memory T cells, like the ones that kind of like you know remember you know like these different viruses and these different bacteria that we've fought in the past to be able to there help. Are, there are, but you know what happens is is something happens when the gut lining gets permeated, and that's known as leaky gut syndrome. Most people have heard that terminology. And like Edgar Casey in his readings, he used to recognize that toxins from the gut would get out and they'd express themselves through the skin because the skin's also an excretory organ and that's where psoriasis and eczema would, would manifest from. And, um, and so these, what happens when, this, when the gut becomes more permeable this is what happens. There's a couple of layers of, of mucosa inside the inner lining of the gut. There's like a, a top layer and, and that's where a lot of like stuff gets filtered through and um, the, a lot of the microbes live there. And then there's this like deep layer that runs along the inside of the epithelial cells and between the epithelial cells that those are the the first, that's the one cell wall thick uh, membrane that lines the inside of the intestine. So what happens is that there needs to be some kind of, of 
track or burrow or wearing away through or of the protective mucosal membrane, which is kind of got these little guards in it that are teaching the that are telling the rest of the immune system in the body that there could be a pathogen in the gut. Um, it's getting through there. It's getting through into between the epithelial cells that have very tight junctions or they're supposed to have very tight junctions. It's getting through there somehow and it can get out into the underlying tissue, into the MOUN, the membrane source, the mesentery, into the lymphatic tissue in the mesentery and perhaps even into the bloodstream or metabolites from critters or or pieces of of stuff from the gut lumen can get through and into the bloodstream and that's when the immune system starts to go haywire so what what the what the microbiome does and it, it does this initially when the new being is is in the world and learning what's friend and foe, but it, I think it continues to do it for us on a regular basis is that it sort of sets up a barcode on things. So like if you eat an apple, the apple gets broken down and then all the various pieces, parts of the apple, like the all of the antioxidants, they each have their own little separate barcode and any proteins and any sugars and any anything. Everything's got its own little barcode. And it's like the microbiome has trained the immune system to go, okay, check, let it through, check, let it through. And then not through the gut lining, but through the body so that it can be absorbed and assimilated and made into energy. So what happens though, when there's this leaky gut scenario is that in order for that mucosal membrane to get broken down and for the epithelial cells to start separating to let stuff through, there needs to be a pretty decent degree of inflammation. And then, of course, when there's inflammation, there's more like a heightened sensitivity in the region. So then the, the immune system can get kind of tricked and they can start misreading barcodes. And then you could start developing food sensitivities or the barcode on, on one thing might look like the barcode on something else. The barcode on genetically modified gluten might look like the barcode on oats. And so now you've got someone who may have a sensitivity, not just to gluten, but to oats. That's an example. I'm not saying that happens all the time. But that's just kind of the way that the cascade can happen so that the body starts to recognize things that are supposed to be our friend as foe. See, and, and how I was looking at, sorry to cut you off, like how I was looking at that when, when you were explaining that is, you know, traditionally, arguably, you would think that like when we are presented an apple from nature, we'd be consuming it as an apple. You know, but if you look at it now, you know, we have apples apple juice, apple cider, you know, like apple purees, you know, like we have all these different ways we have, you know, people who cut the skin off apples, you know, and just have like the inside, like we have all this way that we've changed this. So it's like, we have like this barcode and then we have like these sub barcodes that like, I wonder how confusing that potentially is for the body. Like, and do we even know that? Like, is it 
is it something like our bodies and the bacteria like you know in our gut are just like okay well yeah i know that is close enough or is it like well it's close but it's not really this original barcode you know like what is this really well to create an inflammatory response there has to be some recognition that what you've ingested is foe is is not good for you is a toxin is a pathogen whatever the body wants to call it so in order for that to happen um let me back up processing food in a natural way like taking an apple and cooking it to make applesauce or baking an apple it doesn't change the fact that it's still an the same apple right but when things are genetically modified it's not the same as it as the thing that was before because you're messing with it, with the dna of it you're not just changing whether it's in liquid form or frozen form or cooked form or you know fresh form you're you're actually changing its its original makeup and the body's been coded to recognize things in their natural form have people always had sensitivities and allergies probably there's probably always been that problem there's probably always been that glitch in the system and the body's doing what it knows to do to keep you healthy and help you survive um so it's not like the body's doing anything wrong by having all of this inflammatory response but somewhere along the line something it gets confused somehow the intelligence of it gets confused or it gets overwhelmed or it gets like tripped up because there are so many changes there are so many things going on um and or so many things that are being ingested that aren't right for that person at that time or whatever it is or they eat they're constantly eating at night which increases the inflammatory response in the body. There have been studies that have shown to show that. Um, and, um, you know, it could be any number of factors that are, that are creating it, that are creating that in initial um, shift into an inflammatory response or recognizing something as not friend. See, and like to me, like, you know, when, when you're explaining that to you, and, you know, especially like kind of going back to how you said that, you know, like our, our gut biome can, you change within a few hours, you know, like it's interesting to me that our body has the ability, availability to be able to do that because it isn't until like very recently, you know, in our human experience on this planet that we've had the type of accessibility to like different things, what we have now, like whether that be like food or environmental factors, you know, or like different ecosystems, like, you know, for a, a long period of time, like we were kind of subject to just a, you know, very small pockets. So like you would think if, if our, if I had to kind of like hypothesize something, I would say that our micro gut biome should probably typically change quarterly or seasonally. They because, do, they do change. Yeah, you know, yeah. so like, so to have the ability to be able to change within a few hours, I wonder what or why our body ever started to adapt that process to be like this valid process that it needs to run regularly. Because, you know, like obviously we know with our bodies, like we only have genetically morphed into like these environments because of like a need to be able to do so. You know, so like I wonder what the need was over the course of like 
these thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years where like the micro gut biome was like, I need to be able to change within a few hours. So I'm going to make sure that this process is available to my host. You know, then what really makes me like kind of start to think and expand from there is that I know I've thought this several times listening to like, you know, different like lectures and podcasts, like on the micro gut biome is like the more that I start to feel like I understand this, the 10,000 mile sky high view of it, the more I feel like I don't even know if I'm in control of my everyday for the most part, or whether I'm being controlled by all this bacteria in my gut, because it seems like how much of a responsibility it has to make it so that I can wake up in the morning or I can function or, you know, I can be happy or whether I'm going to be sad. Like, like I, I feel like I have very little control over any of this. Well, you do have control because I mean, if you want to start somewhere and the easiest place and the first place people think to go to, to start is to their diet. Right. So we know that eating a varied diet and, um, I've heard one functional GI doc say minimum 30 different plant foods, a week, including grains, um, is the way to go. So just, you could just start there and then implementing the, the principles of Eastern medicine surrounding diet. I mean, Hippocrates wasn't the only one to say that all disease begins in the gut that started years and years before he came on the scene, um, in the traditions of India and China. So, I mean, in, in Chinese medicine, even we treat peripheral, like even something like uh, Raynaud's we treat by giving a digestive tonic. You wouldn't think of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think you would need to increase circulation or warm the body somehow with a serious yang tonic. No, digestive tonic. The simplest digestive tonic that they have in Chinese medicine often can do the trick. So at least to improve it, at least to improve it in the, in the initial stages. So the gut has played a pivotal role for centuries in our wellness. And, and that's that, that sentiment that you're reflecting on about not feeling completely like, are you in control? Well, that's a good kind of thought experiment to have with yourself. I think we should all have that. And, and, and the conclusion to that is, somewhere along the lines of there's more to this story than we really have been raised to think. And so now it's time to think in terms of, of ourselves as an entire ecosystem and to take care of ourselves, not just to take care of, excuse me, what we want or need from an ego perspective, but to kind of look at the body as this sort of, um, innocent, almost childlike thing that, you know, you would love your child. You would love your pet. Well, look at your, you know, your biology the same way, like take care of yourself in the same way because yourself actually includes like trillions of, of other living entities. A friend of mine is a Tibetan yogi and he said that growing up in the monastery, they have a prayer for absolutely every activity in life that honors all of the, I think he said they call it the thousands of sentient beings that are inside of us. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a tradition that goes back 
thousands of years, I mean, back into even some of the Hindu philosophy traditions in India, um, uh, that idea that, you know, there's, there's, there should be compassion for the body and for the self as a whole, because it's really not just ourselves. And that, that principle of ahimsa that permeates the yogic traditions around the world, ahimsa means non-harming. And that, that principle of non-harming self or other is probably partially born out of the necessity that the ancients recognized that of, of us and our interaction with nature, which is not just us as we would think about it as human DNA, but us as all of the, all of the aspects of nature that are inside of us that are on us like we have a responsibility not to harm any of that and that's huge i mean this is why this is part of the reason why i got so excited about the microbiome because of my my background in in eastern medicine and my background in yoga and knowing that there's always been a terminology a language for what science is recognizing now as the activities of the microbiome. That language has always existed. The intent to care for that and to keep that balance has always existed in Eastern traditions. And it's just sounded a little far out or hokey because it's it's not stuff that we really have had words for in English because it's not something we've really looked at. We've come from a much more um, rational tradition of, of reason and putting things into categories and separating things out and seeing things from a very clear, sterile perspective when it's actually much more like a web that isn't symmetrical. You know, that's, that's the actual model we're working with. And um, it's not neat and orderly little boxes. We can't just separate everything out. We just can't separate the liver from the spleen and think that they're just two totally different things that aren't interrelated. An interesting thing about um, like some of the, the vaccination work that they're doing with the microbiome is they're trying to figure out how they can, instead of even injecting vaccines, put a vaccine patch on the skin because they found that some of the, the vaccine patches they've done, it's the microbiome that's creating the immune response in the body that makes the body resistant to the pathogen that they're vaccinating against. Wow, that's so, incredible. Right? And they and they've put patches on the skin that are directly affecting the gut and they don't know how it's happening. Wow. See, but the, so okay, I've been thinking this the entire time ever since you kind of like brought up like ecosystems at the beginning that I feel like that the more that people respect and value themselves as a human being by some interesting default, I feel like they recycle more, they care more about climate change, they just kind of respect like their surroundings more. They respect food, food security, where it comes from, all these kind of things. But then as you started talking about like the ecosystems on our body, I was like, well, there is kind of like a desert over here and there's kind of like a rainforest over here. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, our bodies are like a representation of like what our planet is. Mm -hmm. Then I was just like, well, 
what little I know about other planets, I'm just like, well, there's planets that are like a volcano, and there's some planets that are like, you know, the Arctic, and then there's some planets, like, like we would know, I'm like, all these are just like little, like, representations of like this greater thing, you know, so it's like, I can kind of snowball how a human being is a direct representation of like a continent and how a continent is a direct representation of the planet and the planet is a direct representation of other planets creating, you know, like, um, you know, like our, uh, um, oh, it's not even coming to me, like, but like all the collection of planets in, in our solar system, you know, so it's like, it's so funny when you're willing to be able to have and understanding how we are all connected, even to that level, how like arguably you can snowball it so far down the road like that, that, you know, where it's like, well, we put this patch on the skin when well, we don't know how it affects the gut microbiome, but I do know how if you change ocean currents over here, it produces a storm over here, you know? So it's like, that's the interesting part to me. It's just like, well, you know, like we all know what the polar ice caps melting and, you know, and like, you know, the, all this fresh water coming down and changing the temperatures within the water. I was producing like these greater storms, but like these tropical storms are thousands of miles away from like where this melting is happening. That's also right. exactly the same interaction. That's what's happening with this patch on your yeah. skin and what's happening yeah. in your micro gut bio. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fascinating. Like how all these like, you know, organic processes seem like they could be like interconnected if you're just willing to understand that that might actually really be like the depth of our existence you know on this planet you know and if we became healthier as a global community we know that our planet would become healthier as well it'd be become more vibrant you know because you know we would respect the planet more like we would understand it you know to like a lot greater degree and like when we're more connected with like our surroundings and when we're healthier and the planet's healthier we're going to feel that and have that sense. I just, yeah. I find it to be incredible. And that's what gets me so interested in like Eastern philosophy and Eastern style, you know, like medicine and like these, you know, like um, everything that's come before us, because I feel like Western culture and Western philosophy, like they don't offer me like a lot of that kind of depth. Like it just seems as depth as it gets, it seems still so very surface to like where it potentially could go. Yeah, it is. And, and, and that's true. I mean, I think like with, in terms of the microbiome that they're doing a lot of this research because they want to make targeted treatments for specific diseases, right? So a lot of the studies are done on mice and rats and what they'll do is they'll sterilize a, a mouse. Like it'll be in a sterile environment, completely sterile, devoid of any microbes whatsoever in its body or, or so they think that's what they're going for. And they'll take, um, they'll take some sterile mice and they'll take, uh, a mouse that they made obese and they'll take the fecal matter from the mouse. They made obese because a lot of the microbes come out through the, through the feces and they'll put that in one of the sterile mice and then they'll take a lean mouse. They'll, you know, they'll test what microbes come out of the lean mouse and then, They'll put that in the in the uh, sterile mouse. The sterile mouse will be lean that had the lean gut microbiota from the from the lean mouse, and then they'll have the sterile mouse with the obese micro uh, obese mouse's fecal matter will become obese. And um, <clears throat> so so they're looking at identifying which 
types of microbial communities result in which types of metabolisms or which types of diseases or which types of states of health so that they can then create treatments that ameliorate those conditions in people that have them. So here's a good example. In cases of people that have C. difficile infections, <coughs> sorry, my mouth's dry, my throat's dry. Um, they have done fecal transplants. The, and this actually started back in ancient China, as far as we know, this is where it started, where um, there was a doctor who would give what was called yellow soup to patients with dysentery. Yellow soup was just probably looked like what it sounds like because it was a concoction of fecal matter from a healthy individual that was made into a decoction that they drank and that would stop the dysentery. That was the treatment. So imagine trying to get people to drink that one. But I guess if you grow up in, in like a culture and an understanding where like, that's just like what you do, but like, but imagine like I look at everything from like a Western perspective, like it is so hard to even say like, you know, Hey, try eating some ginger, you know, like, you know, later try eating like this guy, do you know, just to be able to, you know, and people just like are forward facing of that, like the resistance, but it's like, you know, the, the one thing, like when you, when you talk about things like that, like that I think is, you know, like, when do we get to a point where we can kind of just like allow ourselves to be like submissive more to like these like Eastern style principles and these medicines that have been around for so long, like, yeah, they might have a little bit different face on them now. Like we're probably not going to be drinking that same concoction, but you know, when we realize like how valid they are. Well, um, that's a good question. I think more and more people are becoming more and more open to, to the Eastern way. And um, I think more and more doctors, when they, you know, get disillusioned with actually what they got themselves into once they're out in the workforce for a while, at least the model they got themselves into, are going to start leaning in that direction more as well for themselves and for, and for their patients, because it's a holistic perspective. And this is a holistic paradigm. This microbiome blows the roof off of thinking that we're separate from nature, thinking that everything's parts and pieces, thinking you can just go in for nine minutes and talk to somebody and have your disease treated with a pharmaceutical. Every single thing that you ingest changes your microbiome. And I believe that the emphasis in Eastern traditions on the quality and tone of our thoughts and our emotions and the importance of keeping them high quality as best as we can while remaining, you know, human and still going through all the emotions when it's appropriate, um, is, is also strongly rooted in this microbial, uh, concept because, or reality, because, um, so far, everything else that they're coming up with in these studies is completely proving all of all of the dietary recommendations, lifestyle recommendations that are given to patients on a daily basis that go for Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine consultations. And um, I mean, people just won a Nobel Prize for circadian rhythm study, and we've had a circadian clock in, in Eastern medicine for thousands of years. So, um, and Swara yogis have been practicing, um, regulating their activity based on what their, their 
diurnal rhythm is for God knows how long. So, um, <clears throat> so I think that this concept of, of self and other is, is going to be coming under more scrutiny as, as more of this microbiome information comes out in the Western world and more people are recognizing that they are intimately connected um, with everyone around them and with the earth and what they're eating and with the air quality and what's happening on the other side of the planet as much as what's happening in their own community. And um, I just think it's inevitable that that's going to have to happen because otherwise there's no other alternative for us but to continue to go on um, harming ourselves, but we'd be doing it knowing we're doing it. You know what I mean? Like if you don't become more aware of, of these things and take care of yourself from a more holistic perspective, once you have that knowledge in the Chiraka Samhita, it says that's the greatest sin. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's the greater of two evils, right? Knowing you're doing <laughs> wrong and doing it anyway. Knowing something is wrong and doing it anyway is the worst thing you can do to yourself in Ayurveda. Yeah. Well, as you can understand, because like you just like that is like where what creates inner conflict of like of like a greater magnitude. So um, the one thing that I would love to to cover too um, is that because a lot of people who are going to be listening like to this this podcast specifically, you know, have like an interest in you know like you know Chinese medicine, you know like Eastern medicine, you know like in like the actual like terminology. Um, and I know we've been kind of trying to steer it into like like a Western reference so that people you know could build a correlation. But now we've covered like a lot of that growth. Like like how is all of this perceived, you know, from an Eastern standpoint? Like like terminology wise, like like the gut biome, like the the bacteria, like the spin off of it. Like what can you kind of like walk us down that road of like what the face of this would look like, but from an Eastern perspective? Yeah. So. From a Chinese medicine standpoint, a huge word for microbiome that doesn't just incorporate the microbiome, but other things as well would be qi. And, and everybody's heard that. So I think that's like a good place to be able to start because it's, it's a, yeah, it's a really important place to start because I think that a major a majorly held belief is that chi is some etheric, you know, ethereal substance that you have to be in a very high state of consciousness in order to perceive or to experience, and that's just not the case. Chi manifests at every level of material existence, and one of those levels of existence is that of the microbiome. And before I got into the to really researching the microbiome, the word that I used to translate chi into that made the most sense to me for my clients is vitality. So if you can stick the word vitality in where you would usually say chi, it, it, it will probably click or resonate a little bit better. So, um, so we have the chi of food, for example. We, this is called gu chi in Chinese medicine. And this is the chi inside your food. It's the vitality inside your food. Vitality indicates that something is alive, moving, active. And what would that be inside the food? That would be the beneficial or commensal, what would become commensal bacteria in your body. So I think the gu chi of the food that we take in is, is 
an aspect of the microbiome or or one way that we can perceive the microbiome. So if you're if you're eating yogurt that has cultures in it, those cultures are probiotics. Those probiotics are beneficial microbes that are known to have positive effects on the mind and the body. Those cultures in the yogurt would be the the, the yogurt would be the the goo, the food and those cultures would be like the chi or the vitality in the yogurt. Could the other aspects of the yogurt, like the like the calcium or whatever else is in the yogurt that's beneficial to our bodies, also be the Gucci? Yes, but it's not just that. It's also the microbes. The other aspect of Gucci is that the microbes in our gut are, are are internal probiotics, right? So you can go to the store and you can buy a bottle of probiotics, which is, by the way, like a billion dollar a year industry already. You can go buy some probiotics and you can try and take those probiotics to increase your vitality. Uh, and but you already have those probiotics in you, a lot of them. I'm, I'm talking about like the average healthy person, healthy person has them. Someone who hasn't been on antibiotics for a couple of years, if ever, um, for example. And um, so what we need to do is to think about not just taking the probiotics that are for sale, but cultivating the inner probiotics that we already have. And how do we do that? We do that with prebiotics. Prebiotics are the foods that the probiotics in our gut, the microbes in our gut consume in order to flourish. And so part of the Gucci of food is its prebiotic quality. Does it have the right types of, does it have soluble and insoluble fiber? So those, does it have these starches, these carbs that we can't break down with our human cells, but that our microbes break down for us? One of the things that I thought was clever was um, thinking about, uh, I was reading a, a book on the microbiome of the soil, and they were talking about how cows don't actually eat grass. Cows don't eat grass. The microbes in their gut is what's really, I mean, if you look at, at eating in terms of the entire process, the entire assimilation process, the cows may be ingesting the grass, but they're not actually eating. They're not nourishing themselves with the grass. The microbes in them are doing that. So we don't necessarily break down the, all the fiber in a substance, but the microbes do, and they're using that to nourish themselves and to nourish us with whatever metabolites they produce that influence our health in a positive way. Now, is that where we get into like fermentable fibers or fibers that can become like fermentable fibers in the gut? Yeah, yeah. So because the when they ferment the fiber in the gut, there are substances that are created and one of them is butyrate. And butyrate is known to be like the number one food for the epithelial cells in the intestinal lining. Oh, wow. So is there, unless if your diet 
I guess kind of like we'll see like the chicken before the egg here. So if your diet is inherently lacking like substantial like nutrients regularly, like you're talking on a daily basis, like, you know, maybe like the, the typical average person that might be, you know, like a coffee and a muffin in the morning, you know, maybe like some McDonald's that let's just like a really just kind of junky diet. If a person like that takes probiotics because they don't have a lot of like prebiotic quality to their food, is there a point of taking the probiotics or you like, or is it, or should, is that more of an emphasis that you should because they're, you're not feeding your probiotics in your gut with prebiotics. So it's even more important that you do take a probiotic. Well, somebody like that, I mean, at this point in my understanding of how things work, I would, it would, it would be on an individual case by case basis that I would look at that. I wouldn't just tell that person to go out and eat 30 different plant foods a week. I definitely wouldn't do that because they probably don't have high enough communities in their gut of microbes to deal with that influx of food for microbes. And it is going to create a lot of gastrointestinal upset and probably make the person think that they're worse off for doing so. So that person would need to be like gradually introduce stuff and do and introduce stuff that's really easy to assimilate lots of like soups and stews and, and easily to digest grains, white rice, um, trying to also um, make sure that they were backing off on the things that can cause inflammation in the gut lining. I mean, if you've got somebody who's just eating muffins, hot dogs, and coffee most of the time, and uh, and they want to get healthy, there probably is, there could be some damage to their gut lining. So you, so you would want to maybe give them some probiotics, maybe recommend a small bit of psyllium or some kind of prebiotic. Um, and, 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 just basically go slowly with them. The thing, the thing that's difficult with probiotics and I want to love them (laughs) and I, I see the benefit of them, but we're just not there yet with them because we don't know about the enough about the colonies in the gut. What we do know is that probiotics is a, it's a crapshoot you don't know if what you're getting is even alive anymore by the time you get it in your body. You, re- you don't, unless you have a lab in your house, you're not going to know that. Um, there are companies that can pretty much guarantee that there is vitality in the capsules by the time you take it. And, and they're on the cutting edge of, of, of different types of manufacture of probiotics. So the original thinking was that if you took the probiotic, you had to make sure you were getting something that was alive or that it wouldn't be beneficial. And now the thinking is that because of some recent studies, actually the the metabolites or who knows what, the dead bodies of the microbes in the capsule actually in, in many people can have a very positive effect on their immune response. So even if you take a probiotic and it's like a billion, 50 billion dead acidophilus, it can still have a, a beneficial effect in a person's body. So that's just like mind blowing. That it's, you know, it's not just the microbe itself. 
but it's the metabolite. It's not just the microbe itself, but just like in an ecosystem, the different microbes kind of look out for each other too. And there's very little understanding about how this works because we don't know all the microbes that exist in the gut, but we also don't know how they're helping each other. There are some studies that have shown that, that um, I read one a while back and I don't want to like misquote it at all, but it did show that there were two specific microbes that worked to um, together to decrease inflammation. And I think it was, it was either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis patients. Um, and, and there's a, a, a doc who coined the term mycobiome, which is not, it's not, um, all the bacteria present, but it's all the funguses and yeast present in the body. And, um, he's developed a line of probiotics that incorporate, uh, fungi, certain fungi and certain bacteria that he's found in his research work together inside the body to, you know, help each other and to help us. So it's, it's hard to know, like with probiotics, what is going to help who, because they're going on the studies they've done so far on the strains they've done so far. And then they're kind of marketing those things toward conditions. Like there's vaginal health, there's urogenital tract health, there's um, mind-body axis health, and they're trying to pick and choose the microbes that they've ascertained from a handful of studies on this or a handful of studies on that. They put them together, stick them in a capsule, you take it, that it's going to help affect a positive change in that area of the body. But then there are people who might have, like, like you said, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. I've had several clients that don't take probiotics right now because they have an adverse reaction if they take them. You know, they might get more bloating and gas and discomfort. Um, So even with that, it's something that needs to happen on an individualized basis. Overall, would I say probiotics are a positive addition to one's healthy lifestyle? Yeah, I think at this point, overall, that you know, the research is showing that for sure. But again, I think the best thing to do is to do things that diversify your microbiome. Those things are uh, tons of fiber, um, varied diet, including everything, not just vegetables, everything. Um, Exercise, adequate sleep. And those are, those are all things that are really important and, and all things that change the microbiome on a daily basis. Um, so seeing like, and the thing is too, the, the part that I find like the most ironic about all this is, you know, like typically the people who are going to like seek the path of, you know, like taking like acidophilus or a probiotic or, you know, like whatever face you want to put on it are typically going to be consuming enough like prebiotic foods where it's like, do they really need to be doing this? You know, like I, like I always find like, it's like the people who are going to work out, work out, you know, yeah. like they're already doing that. You know, like the people are going to eat healthy, like, you know, they eat, but when you're in that category, you're always kind of searching for a little bit more to be a little bit healthier. And like, that's where I find like 
but where's where's the homeostasis in that you know like can we eliminate like you know even entertaining a probiotic because of the fact that we eat enough prebiotics you know like is that like the case you know like like you said like how beneficial is it do we just know prebiotics or probiotics are beneficial so we're just like well we should take these you know but again like you know if you're having enough like prebiotic food and like you have like enough diversity you maybe can eliminate that because it's one less thing to think about because that's what like health and wellness is polluted with is like 10,000 different ways of trying to be like healthy and well and holistic and everything. It's like, that's like always my quest is, you know, what are the things that we could potentially eliminate because we're doubling up or tripling up on all these systems that like, you know, come down to, and that's why I always try to really over explain to people. It's like, look, if you go outside, you know, if you eat real food and you just focus on like, realizing like what makes you happy as a person like Mm -hmm. i really think like we can like weed some of these things out because you know like the one thing i want to kind of get into it a little bit here like if we can is um like i know that there's not a lot of people you know including myself that have any concept of like the funguses that are in our gut like is that something that that you're well versed about or is that something you could shed a little bit light on because when you started talking about it and i was just like Okay, well, here's another thing I got to learn about. So, um, like, yeah. like what's what's the scoop behind like the the fungus? And because I know everybody knows we have like you know yeast and you know you know I think a lot of people have heard of like candida cleanses and you know and like all those kind of coin terms we've been living with. But um, yeah. I don't hear anybody talking about the funguses in our body or like how we nurture that fungus or you know like do we need to you know eat more fungus to be able to increase the healthy fungus? Like like maybe kind of go into that a little bit. I don't know a ton about the fungal, about the microbiome specifically, because um, there's pretty much been this one researcher who's who's focused on it, and the rest of the research studies are on the microbes, on the bacteria. So um, I don't know a ton about it, but what I do know is that it's also part of the commensal system that makes up the microbiome. Um, and I, and I, again, I lumped the microbiome into that. I lumped the virome, which is all the viruses into that because I, I just see the microbiome as kind of an umbrella term for all of the friendly critters in the body, um, and on the body and around the body. If you can image, like draw up that image of pig pen from the Charlie Brown comics, <laughs> that's what we all look like. Actually, if you had like a microbial camera we are all existing in a dust cloud of microbes that we're constantly emitting. That's crazy. That'd be amazing to be able to see. Cause we have a lot of like 3d imagery cameras, you know, like that, you know, that show you like your, your fat concentrations on your body or your heat signatures or, you know, like, you know, x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans, but it would be interesting to be able to step into like, you know, like a three dimensional camera to be able to like, like show you that picture you know, like what it looks like, you know, like how like that changes or, you know, like, you know, because we're like this, like this, this capsule that's emitting like all this bacteria, could that be like some of the things that interconnect us as human beings is when I'm with you, you know, you enter and I enter your bacterial zone, our bacteria then, you know, cohabitates in that space and is there a transfer of like our cheese because of like that bacterial space? 
Yeah, there definitely is. And they found that um, people that have pets actually have more diversified microbiomes. And, and diversity is the key in the microbiome. It's not, do I have more acidophilus in my system? It's, do I have a, a very wide array of, of critters in my system? So people that have pets have a more diversified microbiome and people that live together have more similar microbiomes. Oh, okay. And, and again, like we do know that it's just like, you know, <laughs> I, I think like probably the easiest analogy to bring that back to is like women and like their menstrual cycles, how they typically mesh up when um, like when a lot of women live or like two women live together, don't their menstrual cycles kind of, you know, mesh and time themselves together. They it's like together. they sync together and that could have a microbial um, uh, trigger. I think perhaps even the onset of puberty could have microbial involvement. There's the um, estrobolome, it's called, and it's the interaction between the uh, endocrine system and the microbiome and the importance of the interaction of those two things and how the microbiome helps with estrogen specifically um, being produced and excreted. And it's, uh, it's, it's non-ending, all, all of the interactions between... So, everything else. yeah, and if we have, like, plants in our homes or, and or if, like, we garden, you know, whether it be, like, you know, gardening for food sources or just, you know, like, gardening, you know, like, like, flowers or just kind of being out there, like, like, do we interact with, like, the bacterial space yeah. of those increasing our micro gut biome as well? Yeah, and the problem that researchers have found is that um, over time, we've, so, you know, species can go ex extinct and species are going extinct in our guts in the modern, in our modern society. So we could have had ancestors, you know, 500, a thousand years ago who had much more diversified microbiomes than we have. And the, the pool of information that they're using in the West, at least for, I, I guess you could say in, um, in America, they're using the, the, um, the microbiome study is done on people that are from the United States. And, and a lot of the research that's being done on the microbiome in certain autoimmune and inflammatory conditions is done on a pool of people from the rest Western world. So from North America and from Europe and the microbiomes of those people is like we're taking people from that pool and saying oh here are the healthiest most diversified microbiomes this is what we should base everything on as far as what a healthy microbiome is but then they're going into these like tribes in different parts of the world and testing their microbiomes now and what they're finding is that we have like even the healthiest of us in modern countries don't hold a candle to the strength of the microbiome in a tribal person's body. From a well, and you even see that with like the amount of parasites that can live inside like a, like a tribal participant's body. Like it's like, like, I remember reading this study. I, I wish I could remember like, like the amount of parasites, they, especially like tribes that live along water, is like mind-boggling 
how many parasites that if we had even like one or two of these in our body, like we would just have like severe adverse reactions and they're seemingly walking around completely fine. Yeah. 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 Like it's, they don't have the inflammatory chronic conditions that we have. Yeah. They might not live as long. I mean, look at the conditions they live under. I mean, we, we wouldn't even make it as long as they do if we lived in those conditions, most of us. But, um, you know, they don't have all the vaccines or the, the antibiotics or, or the modern conveniences of living, but they also don't have the, the chronic, you know, autoimmune stuff and all the allergies and stuff like that that we have. And they found that people that go in and, and live in those tribes and eat like them and live like them, their microbiome changes to one that's more similar to the tribal people than to the one that they originally came from it's so crazy how we can adapt that quickly like and again like before like we never had the accessibility typically to be able to like regionalize ourselves in different parts of the world so quickly like i can hop on a plane and within 24 hours be anywhere in the world but yet our bodies can hyper adapt to those situations that quickly or even have like the availability availability to even be able to do so Although crossing time zones also sends a hit to the microbiome. Really? Something, yep. So then, like we were saying, like if your circadian rhythm is off, you know, like if, you know, you're, you're jet lagged or, you know, like we're, and especially, if, you know, in like Western culture where we really get away from, you know, like going through like our light cycles, like, you know, arguably like that's a foundation too of like a, a, a prebiotic to be able to like nourish like our healthy gut yes. biome. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in terms of people that travel a lot, um, say you're someone who's really healthy, you have a really good routine, you're, you're living according to your circadian rhythm, according, eating according to seasons, because the microbes change according to the seasons, because we're supposed to eat different things each season, because that's what for a time immemorial has been happening. And um, so our bodies have adapted to so that like, microbes that are more suited to uh, break down nuts and seeds and meat are more prevalent like in the wintertime. So um, so in addition to, to people that are living more healthfully and instead of being on all these supplements and everything, maybe if they know they're gonna travel, take a probiotic. Mm -hmm. That could be the time that they take it, you know? Or, um, or before, you know, if they have to go in and have some dental work done, maybe they're going to give them an antibiotic. Maybe they already know that they can take probiotics before that might be. A See, good idea. I find that to be like an interesting one that you bring up. And, you know, maybe this is where we'll kind of like start to wrap things up uh, here too, is that, you know, because dentistry is so new, like I've actually started to kind of form like the opinion of like how much like that there might be some um, of our gut bacteria that has gone extinct because of the fact that, you know, we didn't need dentists before. Like they've done, they have that research of saying like they've done like dental archaeologists, you know, have proven like that, you know, while they have these, these skeletal remains of like these teeth and they're completely healthy, unlike our teeth now. So like arguably there's probably something that was like flourishing with inside of our bodies that allowed 
our our oral you know like our dental microbiome to be able to flourish and help you know combat because we never brushed our teeth like we never flossed our our dental arches were a lot more wide you know like we had a lot more space between our teeth but you know like they don't find a lot of like the dental conditions in any of these um specimens that they have found compared to like what we have today yeah and actually they've they've found that there's a um a component of breast milk that actually, if a child is nursed until they have their teeth, it, it's it's something that the, is in the breast milk that fights off the bacteria in the child's mouth that cause cavities. Really? Yep. And is that something that lasts or is that temporary just to I like... I think it's probably temporary while they're nursing. Yeah. I don't know. But if they have that foundation, maybe that colonizes, who knows? And those are the things like how long would it be that we would ever know that or like, you know, when do those studies even start amongst all the other, you know, millions of studies that we need to do to be able to even start to understand this. And and that goes back into, so we have this information from Eastern medicine on how to take care of ourselves, body, mind, and spirit optimally in tune with nature with the purpose of achieving good health longevity and success in life all right so the ancients weren't just looking to survive they were also looking to thrive so this is based on a model of what do we need to do to thrive in life and have the most vitality and for the longest amount of time quality of life as well as we age and so we have all those guidelines laid out for the, for us in eastern medicine Western medicine has some amazing emergency medicine and in medicine for tons of other things but what they don't have is the regimented that the structured model that was put forth by eastern medicine and and they may have studies that are starting to back up some of what was taught but if if we just don't even care about the studies if we care about achieving vitality and healthful longevity then why don't we just follow these principles right now? Because they're going to make us feel better and they're going to help us to take care of our microbiome without even trying to take care of the microbiome. We're just trying to take care of our whole being and, and be happy and live the best life that we can. So again, even with all the science, we can just go back to what the teachings are and have faith in their teachings on circadian rhythm, their teachings on eating right for your type and follow those models. And then we have all the answers we need and the proof is in the pudding. You just have to be consistent with the practices and you'll find out for yourself, you know, what works and, um, and how good it feels when it does. Awesome. Um, we're going to wrap things up there because I know that you're a little bit uh, pressed for time, but um, just yeah. quickly, you know, like social media handles, website, like email address, like the whole bit, just so people, if they, you know, want to get in contact with you or just, you know, kind of research you a little bit more, um, you know, and books are like, I don't know if you can, you know, kind of throw out the name of what your new book's going to be yet. I don't know if it's available yet or you can share that information, but um, just drop all that information in real quick before we go. Okay. All right. So. Uh, my, my current book, the one that we talked about last time, is Handbook of Chinese Medicine and Ayurveda. And that can be purchased anywhere you buy any other book you're going to purchase. Um, it's published by Inner Traditions Baron Company, who is also the publisher for the microbiome book that will be coming out um, in 
the fall of next year. So the fall of 2020, I don't have an exact date for it yet. The working title is mind your microbiome at this point, but I'm not sure I'm going to stick with that. And if you want to get more information about um, any classes or lectures, or if you want me to come uh, do a lecture for you somewhere or teach, I teach teacher training programs and stuff like that. It's really fun. Um, then you can go to my website, www.bridgetshea.com. And my email address is bridget at bridgetshea.com. And um, my phone number is 518-450-1945. And social media handles? Oh, social media handles, I forgot. So on Facebook, you can go to Bridget Shea. That's my author page. You could go on Instagram to Bridget Shea Books. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Bridget. I appreciate you um, taking the time out again today. And, you know, I just absolutely love all of our conversations. And thank you so much. So do I. Thank you.